arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. That was the Chicken Run, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean, Natalie Wood, Sal Minio. Fortunately, the beginning of this book in the Jones series is not as deadly as the Chicken Run. Good evening and welcome to the Fitting on the Air podcast. As we start a new book tonight, Johnny's Back in Town, a Matthias Jones mystery filled with murder, mayhem, and monkey business. Kids doing weird things with cars. I'm shocked. Did I know guys who perform the tricks with cars that we see at the beginning of Johnny's Back in Town? Well, now ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a murder here. After all, this is a Matthias Jones mystery. And since it is a Matthias Jones mystery, many of the local characters are at their wacko best leading up to the murder. Starts with Bucky Driscoll at the Yo-Yo gas station, then switches to the bowling alley with Lark Larson, Bucky again, and Arnie Dewars. Let's start the engine, leading toward the murder in the bowling alley. Episode 1 of Johnny's Back in Town begins now. Johnny's Back in Town, Chapter 1. The Notch, Route 32, Hamilton, Prince William, New Hampshire, Friday, January 9th. 6.33 p.m. Not knowing what lurks behind you can be deadly. The first car, an old blue Chevy, buffed and jacked up, passed the vet at the notch. But additional headlights brightened as a Mustang raced by Coco, nearing 70 miles an hour in his Corvette. Matthias Jones watched the Mustang's taillights pass by. He didn't have the engine on, shouted Jones. What are you talking about, Jonesy? He downshifted the vet on the Prince William side of Route 32. I gotta slow down, there's ice up here. He's gone, I can't see anything, Coco, said Jones. This never happened when Corky Corrigan was up here. Forget it, Corrigan's gone. Third car, a beige station wagon, approached from Hamilton. Coco squinted in the mirror. What the hell? What's the matter? asked Jones. That's Bum Bumpus. That moron should be at work. The station wagon accelerated toward the crest of the notch. Are you talking about the manager of the Bolorama? asked Jones. Yeah, said Coco, again checking the mirror. I don't see anyone driving that car. You have a few pops before I picked you up, Jonesy? No, I'm telling you, there's no one driving that car. That's impossible. Jones powered open the passenger side window. As the cold air rushed in, the station wagon veered toward Coco with no one at the wheel. 
Coco spun the steering wheel along the shoulder as the station wagon roared toward Prince William. The vet slid to a stop. I'll have his ass, yelled Coco as he leaped outside and checked the vet for damage. Coco squeezed back in the car and speed dialed the Bolarama. Yeah, Ike, where's Bum? Well, how long ago was that? Call me when he gets back to the alley. Not there, asked Jones. Not there, according to Ike. I should have fired him when we bought the Bolarama. I know where that fool is going. Put up that window, Jonesy. It's freezing out there. Bum's no kid to be racing like that, said Jones as the window buzzed shut. Coco gripped the wheel and pulled on to Route 32. He activated his sound system and soft jazz filled the vet. A few hundred yards ahead, he zoomed left onto a narrow road into Prince William. The headlights shook over the tree-lined road. Half a minute later, they emerged north of the cemetery onto Purchase Street. The three deckers flew by as if they were in a movie on Fast Forward. Coco slowed and traced the service road where Route 32 angled toward Newtown. I'll find that speed, demon. Anyone racing down 32 ends up at Dolby Brothers in the parking lot. Nice driving, Coco. <laughs> Don't mess around, bro. He looked up the access road to Route 32. Ahead, a group of teenagers had gathered in the supermarket parking lot. I knew it. There's the jacked-up Chevy, said Jones. Coco swung into the parking lot. He lowered the window. Hey, he called to the group. Hey, nice car, said the red-headed kid. Paws off the vet, Big Red. Hey, aren't you Coco Stefani? Yeah, what's it to you? Wow. Listen, what's going on with them cars rolling down 32? Silent running. Right. <laughs> Coco laughed, glancing at Jones. They're cutting the engine at 80 or 90 and letting it roll, Jonesy. Dangerous. Anybody can try. Yeah. That's what I want to talk to you about. Bump Bumpus. I saw his wagon pass me on 32. He's a dork, said the redhead. <laughs> Tell me something I don't already know. Where is he? He went back to the city after he won. He said he was being chased by a, a red pickup. We didn't see no red pickup. That <laughs> Bumpus likes to make up stories, said Coco. Wait a minute, said Jones. What did he win? He rolled his car the furthest, said the kid. Yeah, if your car weighs more, it'll roll further at the right speed, said Coco. You're right, Mrs. Stefani. Hey, kid, be careful. You lose control of that car over 80, you're all done. These clowns ain't race car drivers, especially Bumpus. Yes, sir. Nice to meet you, said Coco as he spun around toward Prince William Boulevard and the brightest streetlights. Are you Coco Stefani? said Jones in a high voice. Coco grinned. Shut up, Jonesy. Running those cars up to 80 on the notch is dangerous, said Jones. Bumpus is out of his mind. Why was somebody chasing that idiot? Kevin Phillips told me Route 32 has become a raceway since Quirky Corrigan's position was nixed by Mayor Picarda. Yeah, Corrigan just left town. He started walking south. He said he was heading to Florida on foot. Coco looked down at the dash. I'm going to need gas. With this cold weather, I might follow Corgi, said Jones. Corrigan's a kook. He just might try it, said Coco. Maybe that silent running is what Kevin was talking about. Jones checked his watch. Get your gas. We have another hour before the match begins at the Bolarama. 
How come you're not on the sharks, Coco? Jonesy, I don't bowl. Jones nodded as the storefronts passed by outside. Why didn't you buy the bowl-o-rama anyways? I didn't buy the bowl-o-rama. I own a piece of the pie. It's all legit. Manny, that squeegee brain, was running it into the ground. I had to keep that little mutt Bumpus and his wife Trixie as part of the deal. They run the front desk. I was told that Bum let people bowl for free, said Jones. No kidding, said Coco, gripping the wheel. Who told you about Bum? Was it Driscoll? It was Driscoll, wasn't it? Him and his bowling buddies. They're in the regular bowling league on Friday nights with Lawson in the peewee league. No, Arnie Dewars told me. <laughs> Dewars would lie at the pearly gates. Why'd you put Dewars on your team, Jonesy, and Driscoll to boot? They're in that league on Fridays. So what? These guys can't bowl. They're in the league to start trouble. Don't forget Lark. <laughs> I'd like to forget Larson. I'm surprised he can even lift the ball. Lark has his own style of bowling, said Jones. Where's Franny? She's helping that new dean at the college? Yeah, she'll be a little late. Phil Curran is his name. He's having a welcome party. I should say PJ is having it for him at Fletcher Hill at the end of the month. Curran is in love with himself, said Coco. I told PJ after the trustees meeting a couple months ago that Curran can't keep his mouth shut. The old man hired Curran before he died. Favor to one of his college buddies. He's got a big mouth, that's for sure. Keeps calling me inspector coach. You keep your bowling stars, Jonesy. I got big bucks riding on this match. Come on, Coco. Betting on a kid's charity? Hamilton Fletcher's signature charity? Any dough from the bets is going back into the fund, Hotshot. PJ wanted to carry on the tradition, said Jones. Kids need their old man. You got that right, said Jones, thinking of his late father. Then he turned to Coco. What about your dad? Coco said nothing long enough to make Jones feel uncomfortable. Must be a mind reader, Jonesy. What I got from Boston is my old man might be back east for a while. Don't matter. When Anthony and I needed him, he wasn't around. So I don't give a damn what he does. Up the road, Jones spotted Father Gallagher in a puffy blue ski parker talking with Chet McLaughlin, a tenured professor at the college. Chet's leather coat made him look younger as he stood on St. Bart's rectory porch. Coco, there's Gallagher and Chet McLaughlin. Pull over. Jonesy, I'm running on fumes. Two seconds, said Jones, powering down the side window. Coco pursed his lips and swung the bed around. The orange-haired Gallagher in his blue down coat and orange stocking cap gave him the thumbs-up sign. Hey, Jim, I'll buy you a dinner at the Chateau or Nuncio's if you beat us, said Jones. I'll take that bet, Jones boy, said Chet, handing him a flyer. He had dark graying hair and soft blue eyes. We posted it online in all the supermarkets and a few spots on WOFI. Kids Without Dads, Sharks versus the Hamilton Knights, featuring Chet McLaughlin, former Pro Tour Bowler, Friday, January 9th, Manny's Bowlerama, 332 East Crescent Street, Prince William, New Hampshire. Good exposure, said Jones. What about you, Jim? Take the bat? Gallagher and his padded blue ski parker turned. Hey, going out on the slopes again, Father? Asked Coco, chuckling. Well, when I get the time. Father has a tendency to lock his skis, said Chet. Which time? Asked Jones. I have an 8x10 of Jim up at Sunglass Mountain. Well, I broke my leg at Sunglass Mountain, 
said Gallagher as all three men laughed. Oh, very funny. I want that picture back, Matthias. Forget it. Phil Curran memoed something about planning a ski trip, said Chet. That guy would charge his mother a week's salary if he could make it on his fundraising quota. I never got that memo, said Jones. Oh, just something I found, said Chet. Phil is full of himself, to say the least. Yes, he's a guy who likes to throw his weight around, said Gallagher. Jonesy, come on, we're going to run out of gas. You better warm up that team of all-stars, Matthias, said Gallagher, laughing. After all, you have Larson, Dewars, and Driscoll, the big three. We have George Strickland and Wendell, father. Coach, Claire and I will be at the Hudson State game, said Chet. Well, then we have the St. Pat's game and a two-week break, said Jones. Wander is away or should be there. Wander is a Hamilton yapper, said Jones. Jonesy! Yapper? asked Gallagher. Let's just say the uh, vocal members of the student body are at the games, father, said Chet. I told Wander, said Jones, that getting the crowd going is half the battle. Can you believe that Phil Curran told her to tone it down? asked Chet. Phil Curran has no business telling anyone to tone it down, said Jones. That man is a pushy, loudmouth like Mark Pereira, said Chet. Now, now, Chet, said Gallagher. People have different personalities. Who is Mark Pereira, asked Jones. Wanda's quote-unquote boyfriend. I'm set against this guy, Matthias, said Chet. He just shows up about a month ago. Now, now, Jim, said Jones. Hey! said Coco, beeping the horn. I hate to bust up your slugfest on Pereira. I'm gonna have to get gas. Jones leaned back in the seat. It's not like Hamilton Fletcher to hire somebody as incompetent as Phil. Oh yeah? Look at Driscoll, said Coco. Well, you know the reason for that. We'll catch you at the Bolarama, Coco, said Gallagher. Yeah, right, replied Coco as he maneuvered the vet back to the main road. Jones pursed his lips and looked out the window at the century-old houses. That kid, Pereira, said Jones. I don't even know who he is. Pereira's a loser here from Prince William. Packs a knife. Used to work part-time at the refuge plant near Potts River. The one that's closing down. Whoa, how did Wanda McLaughlin and Pereira get together, asked Jones. Who knows? McLaughlin will handle it. Chet's been teaching at the college for a long time, said Jones. The old man said that Chet was sharp enough to double-check the Fletcher Company auditors. PJ uses him now. Plus, he's a nice guy. Ha! <laughs> I never met an auditor who's a nice guy, Jonesy. McLaughlin went to school at Boston College, worked his way through school. Everybody knows the guy's a whiz. I know for a fact that PJ's had him working on some project. Right. What about Pereira? Let me tell you about that lowlife. Bruno threw him out of the club last month. Chet should get a restraining order. Hey, here's that new station, said Coco, putting on his blinker for the gas station. A large glowing yo-yo with red sides moved up and down like a real yo-yo. Yo-yo gas? asked Jones. When did this open up? Before Coco could answer, a dented mini-brown car spun under the halogen lights and around the lot toward the vet. The driver swung wild onto the ice and slid into the empty snow-filled flower buckets, blocking the entrance. Steam rose from the hood. Jones caught sight of the logo on the side of the car. 
What a moron, shouted Coco, pushing the horn. Hamilton College Security. Oh, no, said Jones, staring at the car. Coco pushed down on the horn. Driscoll! Bucky Driscoll, in his red and yellow bowling shirt, popped out of the disabled vehicle. The rodent's always in the wrong place at the wrong time. As Coco stepped from the vet into the cold air, Bucky waddled toward him. Hey, why don't you watch where you're going? Then he stopped and saw Coco. Uh-oh. You idiot. The smaller and more rotund Bucky, his glasses fogged, pointed at Coco. I can't help it if you don't know where you're going. Where I'm going? asked Coco. You tried to drive out of that entrance, you damn fool. You can't even see out those glasses, rodent. You cut me off first. Coco tightened his fist. You get that shit box out of my way right now. No can do. Radiator sprung a leak, smarty pants. Call my insurance company. I ain't calling nobody. Can't you stay out of trouble, Bucky? He blocked my way, Matthias, said Bucky. Oh, is that right? asked Coco, stepping toward him. Nice going, Bucky, you dunderhead, said Jones. Bucky held both sides of his belt as his stomach rolled over the center buckle. Hey, that's no way to talk to a teammate. A wafer thin man in a blue striped uniform ran across the lot. Isn't that Wally from Dewa's Lumbers? asked Jones. Come on, Jonesy, we'll lift this tin can out of the way. Wally, can you help us move this car? asked Jones. You're at fault, Bucky, said Jones, walking by. What do you want me to do, arrest myself? Coco turned. <laughs> That's the best idea I've heard all night. Go ahead, rodent, arrest yourself. As Bucky's face froze in a quizzical expression, Jones and little Wally grabbed the bumper of the tiny car. We should be able to slide it on the ice, said Jones. Come on, get over here and help us, said Coco. Oh, my back, said Bucky, holding his hip. I'm going to take that rodent and roll his fat head down the alley. Come on, guys, we can do it, said Jones. The three men lifted the bumper, sidestepped, and the little car fishtailed away from the entrance. Coco brushed his hands and panned the parking lot. What a piece of junk. Bucky's on the Hamilton team. Where did he go? asked Jones. Who cares? said Coco as they returned to the shiny blue Corvette. I have to fill up. Bum's station wagon raced by the yo-yo gas station. There he goes. He's all done too, Jonesy, and so is his dingbat wife. On the cell phone, Jones migrated down from the bowling alley, down two steps to the East Crescent Street Bolarama entrance. He stepped by Coco's office to the right and opened the aluminum and glass doors. Cold air surrounded his red bowling shirt. He cupped his hand over the cell phone at his ear. We're in uh, Hawaii and heading for my property in Tahiti. We board in ten minutes. Good luck with the basketball team. Hudson State is a piece of cake, and Murph is on fire. That's the spirit. Another game, another win. Makes the college look good. You sound like your late Uncle Hamilton Fletcher. That's high praise. Thank you. Yes, sir. LG has our emergency contact info in Tahiti. We'll be back in Hamilton in four weeks. A well-deserved vacation. I'll talk to you when we get back. I'm boarding the plane now. Take care, Coach. Jones put his phone in his cocky's pocket as Coco pushed open the door. Jones stepped into the warmer air. Jones, I can't find Bumpus. The wagon is parked on East Crescent, but he and Trixie, the good fairy, are missing. 
Maybe you heard you were going to fire, said Jones, and moved into the noise of Bolorama. You see that clown, you call me right away. Jones nodded and walked ahead. The smashing percussion of colliding pins provided a continuous background, along with the screaming, yelling, and idle chatter throughout the alley expanse. Pizza from the snack bar was in the air. Jones counted 30 lanes. Having a charity event was a break in the usual pressure at the college. Coco had transformed the old alleys into a modern, technically savvy place with digital monitors and computer scoring. Bright colors covered the molding and murals filled the walls at both ends. The snack bar had chrome and aqua paint that Coco said gave it a 1950s look. Bum had indeed abandoned the long desk with the slots for the bowling shoes to the rear. On the far side of the main desk was the entrance to a large game room, percolating electronic game noises and bright colored lights. On the other side of Bum's desk was a coat room, not used very often. The open promenade, covered with a black rug with swirling bright colors, led to the restroom's glorious open glass door and remodeled tiled walls. A series of ceramic colored lights hung over the little snack bar. Little Ike in his pale green ice cream hat and his uniform handed napkins to Julio. Julio wore an untucked black satin bowling shirt with white letters spelling the sharks. He sunk his teeth into a double-decker burger comprised of three hamburgers with lettuce and onions between the buns. Coco crunched his face and backhanded Dulio's arm. Hey, Dulio, what the hell are you chowing down before the match? Well, I'm hungry, said Dulio, his voice muffled by the gargantuan amount of food being crushed between his large teeth. He wiped his lips with the napkins. You still want that triple scoop pistachio, Dulio? asked Ike. No, 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 said Coco. He ain't having ice cream now, Ike. I have to finish the onion, said Dulio. Just make sure you don't make a home in the men's room. I'm tucking your damn shirt. Dulio nodded and drank a Coke from a large bottle as Coco turned and shook his head. Jones and Coco walked behind the alley galleries packed with patrons. This place is a moneymaker now, Jones. He panned the desk area. But with Dulio, I'm not surprised said Jones. Don't get me going about Dulio and food. Where's that Jamo bum? Good luck, Matthias, said Claire McLaughlin, Chet's wife. We'll need it. Tell Wanda Woozy has a special area cordoned off in the gym for wandering the apples. Chet thought she needed some time away. We just want to be safe. I thought she might be over here tonight, said Jones. That good. Herrera. He keeps bothering Wanda. And frankly, she's as much to blame. If I know Chet, he won't put up with it, said Jones. Jones waved to Claire and joined Coco, waiting for the short, dirty blonde-haired Winky, who opened and closed his heavy eyelids as he approached, annoying Coco. Coco pointed to the empty desk across the orange and red swirled carpet. Where the hell is Bum, Winky? Bum must be taking a break. Break? Listen, Winky, make sure nobody's parking on Washburn Ave. Use the washburn door downstairs from the game room. You want me to give them the treatment? No, I don't want the treatment. This is a legit business. I don't need screws in the road. At least not yet. Winky waddled toward the staircase next to the game room. Hey, if you see Bum or Trixie, you get him back here. Will do. Huh, I got Elma working the front desk, Jones. He's 103 years old. Jones caught sight of a stooped-over man with 
with white hair who kept cupping his ear to customers. When the bow-tied helmet moved, it was as if the movie had slowed to half speed. Dulia walked along the gallery with a Coke bottle. Hey, Dulia, watch the desk until I find Bum. What about Elma? Get him the hell out of here, snapped Coco. Dulio carried the Coco over to the long desk. This is a busy place, said Jones. Busy? It's insane. Coco, said Jones, why throw money into it? You gotta spend money to make money. If you'd seen the club way back when, before it was renovated, you'd know what I was talking about. Money came from Vegas. Your father? So they say. Coco squinted as if something had bothered him. Over here, I get stuck with the matching bookends, Bum and Trixie. Manny hired the riffraff years ago. Manny ran this place into the ground. It was a dump. I saw an opportunity and got the investors. From down south. South meaning Boston, smiled Jones. Yeah, Boston. What the hell do you care where the dope comes from? I don't. First thing we did was to get a crew from Boston to replace all the alleys. The wood was cracked and rotten. Before you roll the ball, would bounce in the middle of the alley, Jonesy. The new wood is primo, from the Philippines. But guess what? No other bowling alley from Boston to Bangor can compete with the Bowlerama. Charlie is a very happy man. We're cleaning up. You already never would have spent the dough. I like Charlie, said Jonesy. <laughs> you should with the money he's funneling into your athletic programs. True, said Jones focused on Lark Larson, holding a blue cup and swaying in front of the gallery. Oh, come on. What's the matter, Jonesy? Lark, what the hell are you talking about? Coco spun around. Lark danced with his nimble girlfriend, Flo, toward the bowling Larson's loaded. You want me to talk to him? asked Jones as Arnie Dewars poured something out of a paper bag into Locke's blue cup. Dewars, you gotta be kidding me! shouted Coco as he ran across the carpet, followed by Jones. Hey, Locke! yelled Arnie over the alley noise. You can't bowl a good game without a little lubrication! Yeah, you tell him, Arnie, said Bucky, having arrived from the yo yo gas station. He sat on top of the ball return. Do it. What do you think this is? Get rid of the booze. Good evening, Coco Puff, said Arnie. Shut up, you moron, yelled Coco. Just having a little fun here, said Arnie, slurring his words. Coco grabbed the bag and pulled out the glass bottle of Jack Daniels, half filled with the amber liquor. Hey, I paid good money for that booze, yelled Bucky as he slipped off the bar return. How did you, Rogan? You can watch me pour it out in the men's room. Mr. DePiro will hold you responsible if anybody gets hurt because of this hooch. Charlie DePiro from Boston? asked Bucky, his lower lip quivering. Yeah. Well, Arnie stole the bottle from my car. Arnie lit a cigarette. Don't blame it on me, Buckster. Put out the smoke, stewards. You want to go smoke and go outside? What a zoo. Come on, Jonesy, said Coco as he moved sideways to the Prince William team. Jones checked the Hamilton bowlers in their red shirts over his shoulders as he followed Coco. We're missing part of our team. Strickland and Harris. Yeah. Coco shook his head and patted Chet McLaughlin on the shoulder. Then Gallagher, looking spiffy in his dark bowling shirt, joined them in front of the bench. Jones punched in Strickland's number. George Strickland's cell phone, said Wendell. 
Wendell, this is Matthias. Where are you guys? George, just stopped two guys buzzing over the notch. They had to be doing 90 and racing down the other side. George threw the book at him. We need Corky back here on patrol. Where are you guys now? George says we'll be there in a few minutes. Well, hurry up. Coco wrapped Jones' shoulder. Chet McLaughlin smoothly rolled the ball down the alley. Strike. Chet McLaughlin is still one step under professional. What about Lark? asked Jones as Lark danced like a ballerina in front of the Hamilton bench. <laughs> Lawson? Three sheets to the wind. Johnny's back in town, Chapter 2. Manny's Bolarama, 332 East Crescent Street, Prince William, New Hampshire, January 9th, 7.35 p.m. Jones studied the Venetian murals with the gondolas along the far wall. Coco's rehab of the entire bowling alley was classy. He turned to Strickland, plopped down next to him on the bench after he bowled a strike. He wiped his forehead with a towel. Sorry we were late, Matthias. We were waiting for a couple of PWPD rookies. Somebody's got to watch the store while we're gone. And what about Ned? Somebody's got to watch the store while we're gone. Jones laughed. We need you, George. Wendell said you had speeders. Strickland patted the sweat off his forehead again. Red pickup. Wendell wrote down the plate number and then lost the slip of paper out the window. There was a red pickup. Corky Corgan would have shot out the tires. Strickland leaned back and howled. <laughs> he would have. I told Dom we need somebody stationed up here. You want a Coke, George? asked Jones. Sure, it's hot as hell. As Jones stood by the bench, the gray-haired Chad in a silky black shirt executed in perfect form, released the bowling ball and sent it smoothly down the alley once again. The ball rotated and hit the side of the center pin and collapsed everything into another perfect strike. Jones mouthed the words. Wow. You talking to me? asked Bucky. I was just amazed at how good Chet really is. Ah, he gets lucky. Jones stared at him. Oh really, Bucky? Why don't you go play in traffic? There ain't no traffic on Washburn. Jones shook his head and walked away from Bucky. Back at the front desk, an animated Coco waved his arms in front of a gray-haired guy with a bowl haircut and a compact body. A blonde about the same size with buck teeth and a pink bow in her hair rolled her eyes. Where have you been, bum? Yelled Coco. First you almost run me off the road on 32. Where were you now? Playing craps in the restroom, Mississippi. Coco winced at the sound of Bum's grating voice. Craps? Number nine, number nine, Nina, number nine, shouted Bum. Save it for the blue bell, Bum. I don't have to go to a casino to win. Nobody can beat Bum's sister, said the blonde with the pink bow in her hair. Her voice, squeaky and high-pitched, had its own type of annoyance. I don't want to hear about it, Trixie. Get behind the damn desk, both of you. Bum's got a seventh sense. Yeah, so do pack dogs, said Coco, checking the thermostat on the panel wall. You got the damn thermostat up to 80. How are we supposed to be making money if this place is like a sweat box? Trixie twisted her index finger in her dimple. Mrs. Caravan thought it was too cold in here. What was I supposed to do? Hey, don't push me, Trixie, yelled Coco, pointing his index finger. Jones backtracked across the rug again toward the snack bar. Give me two Cokes, Ike, said Jones. Little Ike had a crew cut, and his lime green triangular hat kept slipping off to the side. 
Franny in her white knit sweater waved to Jones as she entered from the East Crescent Street side. Half a minute later, she needed the snack bar. You want a Coke, Franny? Sure, she said as she kissed him. Why is it so hot in here? Jones grinned. The two at the desk, Bum and Trixie. It's a long story. They were supposed to be fired, but they're still here. Claire McLaughlin bebop by as she emerged from the restroom. Ah, the lovebirds! When's the big date? June 16th. Don't worry, Claire. You, Chet, and Wanda are invited at St. Bart's. I just love weddings, she smiled, but her eyes wandered around the alleys. Then she headed back to the gallery. As Claire returned to her friends, Jones stepped up to the counter. Make that three Cokes, Ike. Already done, Coach, smiled Ike. He returned to Franny. It's hot as blazes in here because Bum Bump has cranked up the heat, said Jones. Bum does what he wants, said Ike. Idiot. He's playing craps in the restroom foyer and left the front desk unmanned. Oh boy, said Franny. Jones looked into Franny's blue eyes. She smiled and he handed her a coat. I just spent three hours with Phil Carton, said Franny, exhaling. You have my condolences. That man is very strange. Those big brown cow eyes keep moving apart. Weird guy. He kept asking about you. Me. He said there was a conflict of interest that you were a private investigator. What? Asked the unnerved Jones. What did you tell him? Well, you've been involved in the investigations, but you're a coach, not a PI. Guy is very annoying, said Franny. Well, I'll call him tomorrow. Franny nodded and then squinted toward the alleys. What the heck is that? What's the matter? Asked Jones as he paid for the coax. Mark, he's dancing with the bowling ball. He's what? Jones turned with the coax. Mark swung the ball from side to side as he danced in his white shoes and emerald green sweater near the ball return. He's gonna hurt somebody. Is he drunk? Asked Franny. Jones spoke out of the corner of his mouth. Bucky and Arnie have those blue cups spiked with Jack Daniels for them. George Strickland jumped back as Lark swung the bowling ball. Jones set down the cokes in the cup holders at the snack bar and jogged forward. That's enough, Lark. Cool it, yelled Strickland, trying to grab the older man. Strickland again leaped out of the way when Lark swung the ball back. Heidi ho Heidi ho Lark bellowed, I feel like a young stud. Cool it, stud. Oh my god, said Franny. Coco bolted out of the game room to the left, ran through the gallery opening past Jones and up to Lark. Hey, Lawson, you're all done, pal. Lark again swung the ball as Coco approached. Coco dove to his right. Arnie was now clapping and led the crowd in a chorus. Go, 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 go. Jones turned to Arnie. Arnie, don't egg him on. Arnie's head flipped to the right. What's the matter? Don't you like to have fun, Matthias? You always go too far, Arnie. Go sit down on the bench, you doofus. Yeah, yeah, said Arnie as he started back to the bench, but he bumped into Bucky, walking awkwardly. You're in a hurry, Buckster. No, I have to use the head. You gotta hold it. You're up next. I can't hold it. I gotta go. I can't hold it. Chet sidestepped from the next alley toward Lark. Lark, I've just been informed you've won the door prize. Why don't you go over with your teammates? Lark swung the ball like a pendulum, but the momentum spun him around, causing him to tumble over. Surprisingly, he stumbled back on his feet. Cash? Did I win cash? No, you won flowers. 
Oh, maybe some Chris 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 Roses, said Chuck. Get over to the bench, Lark. I'm flying! I'm flying! Julio, as if he had appeared from nowhere, rumbled across the alley. Winky was at the counter. As Lark swung the ball, Julio stopped it with his open hand. His stunned Lark seemed to vibrate like a church bell. Julio then slipped his arm around Lark and hoisted him up. With little effort, he carried the tipsy Lark under his armpits to the bench as Lark shouted, Whoopee! Whoopee! Got another bowler, Jonesy? asked Julio. We don't have anybody else, Julio, said Jones. Let me get him some hot coffee from the snack bar, said Franny. I don't believe these morons, complained Coco, taking out his cell phone. We'll sober him up, Coco, said Franny, running back to the snack bar. Lassen <laughs> hasn't been sober in 40 years. Then he turned with the phone. Hey, Winky, get a towel and cleaner when you get back inside here. I was in the game room. Somebody dumped ice cream all over the pinball machines in the game room. Keep people out of there until it's clean. Right, I'll be at the front desk. First, see about that car on Washburn Street, then get back in here with the tag number. Right, here comes trouble, shouted Bucky as he tripped near the bench and ran into Coco, taking him off guard. Get your hands off me, Rodent, barked Coco as he pushed Bucky back. You're up, Bucky, said Strickland. Lark, slumped against Wendell on the bench, continuously flapped his mouth. Oh, I had to take a leak in little boy's room, said Bucky. They pushed me into the girls' room. Never mind your bathroom talk, said Coco. They wouldn't let me wash my hands, and then they told me to beat it. You telling me you didn't wash your hands? asked Coco. Huh? asked Bucky, picking up his bowling ball. Jones brought a clean towel and hand sanitizer over to Bucky. What's this? Bucky dropped the bowling ball onto the glossy wood. That's brand new wood, you dimwit! shouted Coco. Whoopsie! And wipe down that damn ball, yelled Coco as he started back. We got ice cream deliberately splashed over the pinball machine and Driscoll walking around with no brains. This circus ain't worth it. Poor Coco, said Franny with the coffee. Jones moved with her back to the bench. What comes around goes around, <laughs> shouted Bucky toward Coco, but Coco, now speaking with Uncle Julio, didn't hear him. Problem with Bucky is he can't keep his mouth shut, said Franny, looking back to the gallery. One of his problems, said Jones. Oh no, what is it now, Franny? said Jones, turning, and Lark, unsteady on his feet, had another blue cup in his hand. Bucky! Bucky whipped the bowling ball back but lost his balance on the downswing. The ball arced into the air and spiraled downward, smashed the ball return. Jones and Strickland scrambled to set the ball return's top cover back in place. Okay, Bucky, said Strickland. You think you can simply roll the ball down the alley to the pins? Oh, sure. Well, I don't want any coffee, shouted Locke, taking another swig of the blue cup. Coco headed along the alleys toward East Crescent Street. Then he walked with some of the customers near the large wall murals. Jones leaned toward Franny. Coco's had it. Before Bucky began his approach to the lane, Uncle Julio shouted with his hand cupped, you're a stiff, Driscoll. Bucky slid to a stop. Hey, you don't scare me, big boy. The huge Julio stood and approached Bucky. What are you going to do about it, punk? Yeah, I'm going to roll, said Bucky, shrugging his shoulders. He produced a half swing and bounced the ball under the gutter. You're still a stiff, said Julio as he started back to the Prince William side. Chet McLaughlin laughed and leaned against the ball return. 
you want lessons, Driscoll, I can help you. Gee, thanks, said Bucky as he rolled another gutter ball. I have trouble with my balls. Chet bent over laughing as Franny fell onto Jones' shoulder. Bucky held the ball out, but it fell as he released it. Somehow the ball careened into three pins on the left. He walked back to the bench with his head down. Tough luck, Buckster! Lark, singing the old McDonald song, shuffled by Bucky. Chet, his head back, kept laughing in the next lane. Lark staggered up with his pink bowling ball and shuffled to the line. Then he faced the crowd. This should be interesting, said Franny, emitting a few more laughs. I learned to bowl from Spud Pomeroy at the old Bearcat Alleys in Newtown, said Lark. Spud Pomeroy, said Jones. I haven't heard that one. Probably played football with Snooky McKenzie, said Franny. Come on, Lark, just bowl, said Jones. Oh, give it the old spinneroonie, said Lark as he turned, guaranteed to knock them all down. This is becoming ridiculous, said Jones. He heard a high-pitched whooshing noise and then a weird pop from the front. Franny was about to speak when the bowlerama lights went out. What was that? asked Jones as Franny slipped her arm around him. Jones soon realized what he had heard was gunfire. He pushed Franny to the floor and covered his body over her. The shooting stopped just as soon as it started and the alley erupted with screaming panicked patrons. Stay down, Franny. Coco's voice grew louder as a flashlight shone across the promenade. Calm down! Everybody, calm down! Half a minute later, the flashlight beam illuminated the game room. Within seconds, all the lights popped on and Coco ran from the game room open. Dulia, over here! Winky's down! Jones looked up and then to his left. Lark, face down in the wood alley, was not moving. To his left, Julio trotted toward the game room. The skinny Flo Nightingale began screaming in the gallery. Strickland knelt next to Lark as the pandemonium persisted. Stay on the floor, Franny, said Jones. She held his hand. Dias, don't risk your life. Whoever was shooting is long gone, said Jones as he stood and ran over to Lark. I'll call 911. George, where was he hit? Hit? Asked Strickland on one knee. He's not hit. He's sloshed. Jones ran toward Coco outside the game room as Dulio carried a groggy winky from the inside. Within the alley noise, a bowler, carrying his bowling bag, bumped Jones' shoulder. Oh, my throat. Calm down, pal. We're all trying to stay under control here, yelled Jones as he continued to the game. Winky, what the hell? said Coco as Dulio stood him up. Winky held his jaw. Somebody cold cock Winky, said Dulio. Get some ice. The side of Winky's face was swollen and red. I walked in to clean up the ice cream and I got slammed. Jones's phone connected to 911, but the line was busy. They dumped you in the closet, Winky, said Julio. In the noise and confusion, Father Gallagher, his hand cupped to his mouth, called out from the alley. Over here! Over here! Hurry! Ike peered over the snack bar counter. Found earbuds dangling around his neck, crashed into Ike and grabbed a plastic bag of ice. Coco now talked to somebody on his cell as he pushed his way through and parted the crowd. Back on Alley 15, Chet McLaughlin was spread face down like a chalk police outline on the wood. Deep red, mushy blood leaked over the edge into the gutter. Strickland left Lark and then hurdled the ball return. Claire McLaughlin, hands over her mouth, froze near the Prince William bench and abruptly screamed. Gallagher's watery eyes locked on Jones. Why? Why? 
The stunned Jones headed below as Coco yelled into his phone. I can't get Charlie. I tell you, McLaughlin's been hit, Bruno. Keep calling Charlie and tell him the cops and the EMTs are on the way to the alleys. No, it looks bad. Have him call me direct. Jones squatted down and detected a heartbeat from Chet's chest. But the severe blood loss covered the wood in the gutter. He dialed Kevin Phillips' cell phone. Guys, we're ten minutes away. What happened? Jones heard the sirens. Chet McLaughlin, professor at the school, shot in the back. Lane 15, extensive blood loss. Shots and then the lights went out in the bolorama. That's crazy. EMT should be there before us. Who shot the professor? Unknown, Kevin. I heard a whooshing. Popping noise that may have been a silencer. Jones stood as the EMTs ran up the East Crescent side stairs. Coco waved them over. The flummoxed father Gallagher held on to Claire. EMTs just came through the entrance, Kevin. Not good. Jones then pushed LG Bentley's number. The line rang amidst the pandemonium as the EMTs reached chat. Jones backtracked toward the desk. Hey, guys, what's all the noise? Bolorama, you need to contact PJ. Chet McLaughlin's been shot. Kevin Phillips and the police are on the way. The EMTs are here. We'll get it. This place is crazy, impossible to tell. Right in the middle of the Hamilton Fletcher charity. Oh, he don't want to know that. I'll try and contact him right now and get back to you. LG, thanks. Most of the patrons had been interviewed and the alley noise had melded into a small office chatter. With Chet clinging to life at the PW Medical, Jones listened to Winky, his jaw and cheek still red, explain to Kevin Phillips that he was hit with something hard on his jaw when he walked into the game room. He said he regained consciousness when Dulio lifted him up. Did you see anybody in that room? asked Phillips, getting frustrated with Winky's demeanor. You didn't see anybody, yet you were hit, Winky. I didn't see nothing. Check that closet for prints through the open door, Krem, audited Phillips. And talk with that soda jerk. I want to know who bought vanilla ice cream tonight. Yes, sir, said Krem. Don Pacheco, out of uniform and a yellow pullover sweater, stepped into the questioning. Pinky Harris is in Manchester. He's been notified. Oh, for joy, said Phillips. Dom turned toward Winky. Look, Winky, if you're protecting one of your Looney Tune friends, Winky moved his jaw from side to side. I don't know who hit me. What do you mean you don't know? I don't. What? asked Dom. He doesn't know, said Jones. Well, damn, said the police officer as Coco and Dulio argued with Bum now back at the counter. I'm just asking what you and Trixie heard from the desk, Bum, yelled Coco. Bum and me, we had our earbuds in, said Trixie. Bum's eyes moved from side to side. Are you kidding me? asked Coco. Don Pacheco stepped around Coco. I heard that. You don't expect us to believe that, do you, Bumpus? What about our rights? asked Trixie. Lieutenant Phillips read you your rights 15 minutes ago. Trixie made a little girl face as she spoke. Bum gets jiggy with the noise in the bolorama. So I didn't hear no shots, added Bum, raising his voice, because we were plugged in. Well, what about you, Trixie? asked Dom. What Bum says. <laughs> blind leading the blind, said Coco, shaking his head. Dulio, where did the shots come from? asked Jones. Dulio looked toward the stairs. Game room, nobody there except Winky in the closet. Coco, what did you hear? asked Dom. Nothing, I was in my office next to the door on East Crescent. Where's your gun? asked Pacheco. 
What kind of question is that? You think I fired the shot, Pachico? No, just let my list of things to do. It's locked in my office. Next to the front door. I don't carry it in here. Kevin will bring you down there in a few minutes. Whatever. Again, Dulio stared at the glass doors overlooking East Crescent. What the hell are you looking at now, Dulio? Winky said. Never mind what Winky said, said Pachico. No, wait, said Coco. Winky remembers everything. Dulio, said Pachico. Winky said, Mark Pereira, that kid, was on the promenade. Pereira was here? He's a punk, said Winky. He had a potlocked face. The so-called boyfriend of Wanda McLaughlin, said Kevin Phillips off to the side. Was he running, Winky? asked Phillips. Just moving with the crowd. Only saw him for a few seconds. Pachico stepped forward. Was he carrying anything? And what was he wearing? An old Navy-style barracuda jacket and jeans. Dirty, dirty sneakers. Isn't that a lightweight jacket, asked Phillips, in this cold? Pachico raised his dark brows toward Coco. Did you know McLaughlin, Coco? Yeah. How'd you know him? Asked Phillips. Goes to St. Bart's. Does the books for Gallagher. Go, I ain't best friends with the guy. He knows me and I know him. Arnie Dewars, wearing a Dewars warm-up jacket, now stood between them. You need to get Dr. Flambozo over here and hypnotize people. Get lost, Dewars. Can I get my shoes? Asked a short woman with tough eyes and pinned up blonde hair. She handed Bum the receipt. Who owns this place anyway? I'm going to complain to Mayor Picotta. Come over here to relax and we get this. Right, Dad? The older man had short gray hair, her green eyes, and a sharp voice. Well, we won't be back. What's the matter? Can't you handle the excitement, old man? Asked Bum. Shut up, Bum. Nobody gets shoes until we have the statements, said Pachico. Dulio, give these two their money back. We're sorry for the confusion, man. A few seconds later, Dulio flipped several bills into the blonde's hand. Thank you. Just wait in the audience area where you were bowling, said Pachico. As they walked forward, Coco leaned toward Bum. Ever hear that the customer is always right, Bum? I don't believe in that bullshit. I'm calling my lawyers in the morning to get your ass out of here, dweeb. All right, all right, calm down, yelled Pachico. Yeah, Dr. Flambojo hypnotized me to break my bad habits, said Bucky. I don't pick my nose no more. Well, at least not that often. No wonder you lost weight, said Arnie with a dumb laugh. Coco's face reddened as he stepped forward. Beat it, rodent. Hey, I got a right to speak. Yeah, so do parrots, said Coco as he walked toward the alleys. Dulio, come on, Buckster, let's go. What about your station, Arnie? Who's going to close it down? Don't worry about it. I'll call Walter. Arnie owns that gas station? Asked Jones. Now it all makes sense. Jones' cell phone rang. Phil Curran was buzzing him. He looked at Franny. I'm not answering a call from Phil Curran. I wouldn't. Just after he cut the call, the phone line rang again. Jones was about to nix the call when he saw it was LG. LG. DJ appreciated your calling me. The connection was horrible. Even on the landline. The earliest he can get a flight out is tomorrow. Understood. What's the status over there now? Chad is alive, but barely. We have no idea who shot Chet or from where. Phillips and Pachico are working on it with an army of cops. Okay, let me know if there's any change. Thanks, LG. You bet. Jones put the cell phone in his pocket. Dom leaned against the counter as Kevin Phillips backtracked to the desk. Hey, Driscoll, 
Yeah, what do you want, copper? What did you say? You heard me, tough guy. Franny stepped up to Jones. Coach, I just talked with my friend Margie on the sixth floor of PW Medical. Chet's still in surgery and it looks bad. Jones nodded. I want to know who threw you out of the restroom, Driscoll, said Phillips. Mean-looking guy with a scar from his forehead over his eye and a little twerp with a mustache. Coco's head jerked toward Bucky. What were they wearing? Their clothes! <laughs> Laughed Bucky, but Phillips was not laughing. Oh, uh, hats, fiducias. You mean fedoras? Oh yeah, and suits, gray and dark blue. Who were they and what did they say? Well, the guy in the dark suit said he had a gun and if I didn't leave, he'd shoot the family jewels. <laughs> Do the world a favor, said Coco. The outside window was open, Phillips. Phillips nodded, which goes down to Washburn Ave, said Pacheco. Hey, Winky, called Coco. What about Washburn Ave? A Porsche SUV, said Winky, pulling out a notebook. Massachusetts tag A4592342. Dom nodded. Sign this guy up. Damn, said Phillips as he wrote down the number. We checked Washburn when we first got here. No vehicles along that road. The SUV must have left. Dulio said a shot came in from the game room and Winky was cold car. Right, said Dulio. I don't remember nothing in that game room, said Winky. I distinctly heard the whoosh and then the dull pop almost immediately thereafter, added Jones. Franny raised her brows. Dom turned toward the coat room and exhaled. Check out the Porsche, Kevin, and we'll see about the prints in both rooms. Phillips nodded and got on his phone. Hey, wait, said Coco. The electrical panel is in the coat room closet. You can get there through the hall from the game room. That's where somebody shut off and on the lights. Check it and desk for prints, said Phillips. Jones closed his eyes for a second when he saw a district attorney, Herbert Lane, in his green jogging suit, enter through the East Crescent Street entrance. What are you doing here, Jones? Asked Lane as if he were just beamed into the bolorama. I think I'm going to be sick, said Jones. Lane wore an oversized baseball cap with his name on it. His belly rounded out his gray sweatshirt from under his open top. Phil Curran buzzed Jones and Jones nixed the call. I don't want you sticking your nose into this, Jones, shouted Lane. My office will handle this. Kevin Phillips stepped up to Lane. Matthias is a witness. As usual, you're a day late and a dollar short, Herbert, said Jones. Always with a snarky mouth, Jones, said Lane. I didn't call you, Herbert, said Dom, growing irritated. I've ordered a conference. I'm commandeering the game room over there for media. No media, shouted Pacheco. This is a crime scene, for God's sakes. Media will destroy this investigation. Lane grabbed the remote on Bum's desk. What the hell are you doing, Herbert? asked Pacheco. I have to see if the media has picked up any of my comments, Dom. Now, oh, God help us, whispered Phillips to Jones. A long shot of the buildings on East Crescent Street came into view. The Bolorama's aqua neon sign flashed periodically further up the street, and a chubby man in a blazer held a microphone as he spoke. When the audio did not come through, Lane fiddled with the remote. Well, what is he saying? What is he saying? babbled Lane. Coco grabbed the remote. It's on mute, Lane. 
He slapped the remote in Lane's hand and moved back to the post support and kept staring at the shoe rack behind the desk. We've got scant information from Chief Don Pacheco about this random act of terror. Pacheco erupted. Act of terror? Willard Conball never gets it right, said Phillips. As Pacheco called the TV station, Cornball motioned for the camera to close in on his cue ball head and his paintbrush mustache. As Prince William's voice of the night, this reporter senses a cover-up. Pacheco began yelling into the phone back on the promenade. Coco remained at the post and then looked toward the game room stairs. Jones checked the monitor. The only bright light seems to be the efforts of District Attorney Herbert Lane whom I can say confidently is on the scene as we speak. Lane nicks the remote. I got what I wanted. What I have to tell you will blow this case apart, said Lane. Sure it will, said Jones. You're so full of it, Herbert. What was that, Jones? I said just do your duty, Herbert. Thank you, I will. Coco lip-smiled and winked at Jones. It can wait, Herbert. We're all exhausted, said Dom. We still need more statements. Strickland and Harris are out there taking statements right now. No, it can't wait, Dom, said Herbert like a petulant little boy. And Jones, you're not on the guest list for my conference. Coco finally stepped forward. Hey, what the hell is this? I don't want you in here, Lane. Why don't you go party at your so-called club? Take your buddy Jones and skedaddle, said Lane, brushing his hand through the air. Coco's angry eyes unnerved Lane and he stuck out his lips like a duck. Why, Jonesy, I'll get you something at the snack bar here while Mr. Big Shot plays detective. You'll get yours, Stefani. What do you mean by that? If the bowling shoe fits, wear it said Herbert Lane, chuckling at his own joke. Phillips, Dom, let's go, double time. Coco crossed the promenade, rounded the snack bar counter as the three men filed into the game room, pulled the tap for a Coke. I'm gonna pound that Lane right in his fat puss. What's so secret he can't talk about it? Asked Jones as Coco handed the Coke to him. Thanks. It's all BS, Jonesy. He likes to push people around, that's all. Jones's phone buzzed again. He looked down at the screen. Phil, Karen, that's three times. Probably nervous with PJ gone. Matthias Jones. Jones, I know you're avoiding me. What do you want, Phil? I heard what happened to Chet McLaughlin. You're not going to investigate this, are you? Hey, Phil, why don't you stay out of my way? Jones hung up. Whoa, said Coco. He put his hand on Jones' shoulder. What happened to that diplomatic kid I brought out here from Indiana? That kid has had enough of Phil Curran. Hey, I don't blame you, Jonesy. I told you, we can get him out. Jones looked into his friend's dark eyes. I just may take you up on that, Coco. Jones looked up at the silver-rimmed analog clock from the orange tweed sofa near the game room. A chill with the heat turned down spread across the alley. He stared at the red minute hand sweeping into the future as he tried to figure out why someone had hired a professional to kill Chet McLaughlin. Chet was still alive, but just barely. Hours ago, Chet, unconscious, was given blood and removed on a gurney by the EMTs to the Prince William Medical. At 2.15 a.m., Jones could have easily fallen asleep on the sofa. The Bolorama lights were lower now. Franny was back in Hamilton because of the morning meeting with Phil Curran. 
Most of the alley had cleared, but Kevin Phillips and Don Pacheco remained on the scene, but were preparing to leave. At least Herbert Lane had gone back to wherever it was he came from. The weary Don Pacheco, sweater off and his jersey wrinkled, approached Jones. The circles were deep gray under his eyes. Caddy was rented near Logan Airport in Boston by uh, Michael Witowski from Kingman, Arizona. What's he doing up here? asked Jones, sitting up, and he wrote the name on his bowling scorecard. Who is he? Real estate developer in Arizona. No arrest. No record at all. Coco stood behind the desk, occasionally turning toward the shoe rack. He had nervous energy and probably needed a cigarette. Dom, what's so secret that you guys had to meet in the game room? asked Jones. Dom closed his dark eyes and pinched the bridge of his nose. All I can tell you is there are additional legalities here. Involving Chet? asked Jones. No comment. Jones pursed his lips and turned. Coco leaned against one of the posts as Dom continued. On another note, Krim found nothing in the game room. Nor in that hallway between the game room and the coat room. What about the prints? asked Jones. We're checking prints against Pereira's prints since Winky identified him as leaving the scene. Pereira isn't a professional, Dom. Well, let's just see what we find, Matthias. If you decide to nosedive into this, please inform either George or myself. Why, is Herbert going to bring me in on the case? Herbert is a blowhard, said Phillips back at the counter. We can use all the help we can get. Jones stood in front of the police tape at the game room door. Jones walked toward the police chief. I'm not sure exactly where the pop shot came from. Dulio says the game room, and I guess I agree. Could have been an echo from where you were. Dom turned to Phillips. What's the story on Pereira owning a weapon? Let me check my phone. As Phillips scrolled down his screen, Dom read his own text messages. Chet's in rough shape, massive internal bleeding in the stomach and surrounding organs. I'm not sure he's going to make it. I'll leave that to PW Medical. His wife is freaking out. He's a nice guy, said Jones. No enemies, quiet accountant. Uh-oh, said Phillips. 22 pistol purchased three years ago. So we have Pereira in the alley, and he owned a 22. Kevin, APB on Pereira now. Bring him in. Phillips nodded, and Pacheco tapped Jones's shoulder. Will that personnel station here all night? You'll need to leave, Matthias. No argument here. Coco's checking the receipts in the front office. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Remember, I want to know what you know, said Phillips as Jones started down the promenade. He walked the length of the empty alleys and sidestepped to Coco, surrounded by brown paneling, working at a small desk. Hey. Coco looked up from a pile of register tape and neatly stacked money and checks. Hey. What do you think, Coco? The question is, Jonesy, why McLaughlin was shot, said Coco, stapling the sales tape to a report. Never mind how he's a nice guy. You heard what Winky said about Pereira. Kevin said Pereira bought a 22 pistol. That don't surprise me. Did anyone else see Pereira in here? asked Jones. Don't matter. Winky remembers everything. The whole thing bothers me, said Jones. Pereira doesn't have the guts to pull this off. It was professional. I heard two guns, said Jones. Pereira could have easily fired a 22 from that game room after the initial shot. At what, Jonesy? McLaughlin wasn't hit with a 22. And explain this. Why the hell would some dude named Witowski from Arizona fly to Boston, 
rent a car and drive here to Prince William and parks right on Washburn near the open window in that coat room right where the electric panels were he has to be the driver of that hitman stupid Witowski drives a hitman to the Bolarama think about it it's too sloppy ridiculous said Coco if you're doing a job you plan it and if you're clever you just do it you slip in you slip out you think the hitman just walked out yeah just don't know how he got out Jones pursed his lips. Okay. Coco stuffed the bills and slips into a small valise and placed it in a cube safe underneath the desk. Then he backtracked across the room. He slowly closed the door and locked it from the inside. He opened another door to a tiny bathroom. Inside was a narrow, varnished door to the left. He shut off the office light and flipped a fluorescent light inside an angled staircase behind the door. Well, where does this go? Below the promenade. Coco, I don't want to get caught in here after Dom told us to leave. It's a crime scene. Will you relax, Jonesy? At the bottom of the stairs, they reached a wall. Coco flipped a latch, manually releasing the panel. He slid the wall open a few feet. Coco flipped the flashlight, cut the stairway light, and somehow secured the old plaster wall in place. Amazing, said Jones. You can't be too careful, Jonesy. He shined the flashlight ahead. They had reached an open area the length of the promenade. The air was colder and musty. Coco swished cobwebs to the side. If this was a professional job, he has to be clever and perfect. Now, how do you know that? Because, bro, I checked out them shoe slots behind Bum's desk while Lane was holding court with Phillips and Pacheco. What does that mean? asked Jones. And I found one that's cut around the outside edge. I don't get it. Yeah, you will. Listen, I got a call from Charlie earlier said Coco, lowering his voice as he stopped. This is all over the Boston stations, Jonesy. Chico managed to squelch the local coverage, but after watching Lane tonight, he's going to want media time. Mr. Media Time. Why did Charlie call? He wants me in Boston in the morning. I want you with me. Me? Why me? We have the game against Hudson State tomorrow night. We'll be back here before noon. Every time I get involved with the boys from Boston, trouble happens. Trouble's already happened, bro. Jones shook his head. You've got to come to Boston with me. It's always good to have somebody with you when you're talking with Charlie. Right, a witness, said Jones. Yeah, you can sleep over the club or in my mother's spare bedroom. One thing I don't understand about tonight, said Jones as he pushed the cobwebs out of the way. What's that, Jonesy? asked Coco. Why did Bum run to play craps in the restroom? I told you, because Bum's got nothing upstairs. He's always been a weasel, and Trixie follows right along with him. Phillips will shake them both down. He's too dumb to be involved in this. So you think he just wanted to play craps? Coco pressed his lips. I ain't sure why he went in there. This whole thing makes no sense, said Jones. There's more going on here, Jonesy. I just can't talk about it right now. That's one of the reasons I need to speak with Charlie in person. Jones tilted his head. Now you piqued my interest. I've been thinking about this all night. There's something I can show you right now. Like what? <sighs> Asked Jones, yawning. We'll see if I'm right. I wasn't going to do this, but if I can't trust you, Jonesy, I can't trust nobody. Well, what is it? <sighs> Said Jones, yawning again. Do the cops know about this? Hold on, sleeping beauty. 
Coco shined the flashlight on the concrete walls and a dented steel door ahead. We're at the bottom of the Washburn stairs. The door to Washburn Ave is at the landing. Why are we here? And what if the cops already know about this? Cops can't figure out diddly, because they don't think like criminals. Took me two hours to nail this. There used to be a freight elevator shaft behind Bum's counter. How do you know this? Coco opened the steel door and shut off the flashlight. The outside streetlight from Washburn Ave filtered through the glass door and onto the stairs and wall. They got nobody stationed outside. Stupid. Don't touch nothing. Coco used his shoe to press open a door to his left. This door is supposed to be locked. Where's it go? Hold on. He signaled with his head for Jones to follow him inside. Once inside the dank room, he closed the door with his shoe. Where are we? Storage area. Nobody uses it no more. Where's the shaft? asked Jones. Coco climbed up on a steel desk against the wall. The shaft ran right behind Bum's desk upstairs. The shoe racks were built over the freight elevator's door frame. And the mechanic would know all this? <laughs> a good one would. Coco produced a faraway smile and his eyes twinkled a bit. Anthony and me, we used to bring our girlfriends up here in the freight elevator while everybody was bowling. Bring the elevator up halfway and bingo. Coco unscrewed a broom handle and pushed it up to the suspended ceiling tile along the concrete. Jones grinned, but then his smile dropped. Did you tell the cops about this? Coco stopped. I only tell the cops what they want to know. Right now, we don't know nothing. But Chet wasn't the target of anybody. You don't know that, Jonesy. Coco pushed the suspended ceiling tile along the wall and maneuvered it on top of the other tiles. He pulled Jones up on the dusty desk. The flashlight illuminated a narrow concrete shaft no more than 10 feet square. The old cables were still in place, but no elevator. Two cement nails, a foot and a half apart, had recently been nailed to the concrete. He shined the light on an alcove or lip about 20 feet up. I'd say he had a rope ladder up to where the freight elevator door used to be. Through the shoe slot, said Jones. A true pro would have had all the old plans for the alley from City Hall weeks ago. We got copies of the original when we remodeled. They would have known about the elevator shaft. When he snooped around, he would have seen the elevator was gone. Damn, that would be perfect. Jones looked up as Coco shined the light over the aged concrete. Climbing up this shaft, how? Come on, Coco. Listen, step one. You get in place up there where that veneer panel comes across the concrete. Like I said, that was the old original freight elevator's entrance. You do it at night. You bring in a rope ladder. You get it all in place right at that ledge where the door used to be. And I told you, there's a cut panel in one of the slots behind the desk. You have a handle on it. You pull it out. You know exactly where McLaughlin is and you make your shot. Put the slot back in place and you get the hell out of here. Jones peered up the shaft and then looked into his friend's dark eyes. I see the panel, said Jones, as Coco panned the light along the wood sheet. This is wild. Okay, what did they do with the ladder? Who the hell knows? He would have needed a key to get to the storage room, said Jones, if this door is always locked. He probably unlocked it earlier, but you're right. He needed the key. This door ain't on the new locks we put in. You need the old key. And where would he get that? Mr. Bum Bumpus, you're kidding. Coco carefully placed the ceiling tile back in place without touching the metal frame. They stepped down from the desk. Okay, then what? What would you have done? 
<laughs> I would have run like hell onto Washburn Ave. But the lights didn't go out by accident. Now I'll figure that out later. All we've established is that this was a professional hit. So again, why would Chet McLaughlin be the target of a professional hit? Coco stared at Jones. Then his eyes opened wide as a shuffling noise outside got his attention. A bright light framed the door. Both men leaped onto the concrete and quickly scrambled under the steel desk. The door opened and the light burst inside. The overhead fluorescence came on as Jones' heart beat out of control. I don't think anybody's down here, said one of the cops. They were gone as fast as they had come in. Coco opened the storage room door less than a minute later. Then he retreated under the promenade. Jones ran beside him. Does Charlie know about this contract? asked Jones. I don't know, Jonesy. We'll find out tomorrow. Jones then wondered if the killer had crossed under the promenade and up through Coco's small office. Coco stopped. I know what you're thinking, Jonesy. Did he hightail it into the alley and into my office? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. First of all, I ain't that stupid to get reeled in on some hit. Secondly, the stairs from the bathroom are new, not on the original drawings. I had them put in when we remodeled. Understood. Come on, you can sleep in my office over the club. Jones is stunned how Coco has figured out the hitman's perch. What confuses him, however, is why they must go see Charlie DePiro in Boston, and why is the shooting of Chet McLaughlin linked to Charlie and the other mob members from years ago? We'll find out more next time in Boston. I'm Robert P. Fitton, author of this atrocity, and see you next time. My books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.